How are we doing? Everybody good? Good. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Um, in case you missed it, the kids are also dismissed to, to kids' worship as well. Uh, if you want to make your way back there, uh, they'll be meeting in the fellowship hall uh, this morning. Well, good. Good. So many exciting things, uh, man, that the Lord is doing at, at Arlington. Um, just a couple of things I wanted to let you all know that are, that are happening um, this, this coming Saturday. Uh, we're going to have a work day from 8 to 2. Um, so it's not necessarily like painting and outside work as much as we're, tr- we're trying to um, move a lot of furniture and stuff that isn't really being used right now um, down to a different place for storage. And so we're going we're gonna to move out all the things that are back behind us in Chapel Hall because the students are going to start meeting in here on Wednesday nights. Um, so they're going to have stuff to, that, that's going to go in their places to sit and their games and stuff. And so we need to move all that stuff out to get ready for them to be able to start meeting in here on Wednesday nights. Um, and then our Bible groups are going to be meeting down in, in Fellowship Hall. And there's some rooms that have just some extra stuff that we need to be able to, to move out of the way. So as our Bible groups grow um, and as we add more that we'll have rooms that are ready for us to be able to move in. And so we can grow um, in, in um, our walk with Christ together. And so uh, we're just preparing places for us to be able to grow as a church family. And so um, if y'all could come here, we're going to feed you breakfast. We'll feed you lunch. Um, and so, or if you can't commit to the full eight to two, um, if you're not so much a morning person and you say, man, I can give you 10 to two, um, then that's quite all right. We can, we can let you do that. Um, any, any, anything that you can, you can give as, um, uh, just a part of your, uh, just, just serving here. Um, if you could, if you could come out um, especially guys who have muscles, um, y'all come out cause we need, we need some, some heavy lifting to be done. So. Um, but also, like as, um, just as Pastor Brett um, said, we've got some, um, our, our time changes the week after um, Labor Day. And so on that Sunday, September the 10th, we're going to start meeting. Um, all the Bible groups will be in here um, at 9.15. And then um, on Wednesday nights, we're going to make those more into an equip night. Um, but we'll have things for all grade levels on Sunday mornings at 9.15, and then on Wednesday nights we'll have things for kids, students, and then our equip nights to, to learn how to share our faith and to grow in our walk with Jesus. And so um, I hope that y'all would come out to those um, on Wednesday night. It's really important for us to, God has called us as a church to make disciples, but we need to know what that looks like as a faith family. And that begins with sharing our faith and then helping people grow in their walk with Jesus. So come out on Wednesday nights. That's at 6.30, um, beginning the week after Labor Day. So, um, yeah, lots of exciting things. I'm just so, so thankful for the Lord um, to, to be here and all that he's doing in our church. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Um, and before we get started, um, would you all pray with me? Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for your mercy um, that's new every single morning, God. We just pray, Father, that you would, um, you would meet us in this place today through your word. God, I pray that as we open your word and we, we read that you would write it on our hearts, that we wouldn't leave this place not changed. Um, God, we thank you so much for the living word, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross for our sins. I pray that you would be exalted in everything that we do and say in this place today. In your holy and precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter, psalm chapter 1, we're going to go through the, the whole psalm. So this is a shorter psalm. We've been having about 28 to 29 verses the past few weeks, and so this is just um, a quick six verses that we're going to run through. Um, so if y'all would stand in honor of reading God's word, Psalm chapter 1. 
Just going to switch the mic real quick to limit the feedback as much as possible. Psalm chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God bless and honor the reading of his word. Y'all can have a seat. Has anyone here ever seen that show, Shark Tank, before um, it's been on, I think, for like 12 or 13 seasons, but lately I have just been obsessed with it for some reason. I don't know um, if they've just been releasing new videos on YouTube or, or not, um, but I, I watch like a couple of, not episodes, but pitches um, like almost every day. I'm just obsessed with it. I don't know why. Um, I just think it's really interesting. But if you don't know the premise of this show called Shark Tank, Basically, like a creator or um, an inventor or a business owner will come and they will bring their invention, their creation or their business to some um, investors um, and ask them for a certain amount of money for a certain amount of stake in their, um, in their business, right? Um, and so the sharks, they'll go back and forth and they'll negotiate what they think their business is worth and, and all this kind of stuff. But um, the opening pitch is always really fun to watch to find out what their product is. But one time I was watching this, this inventor um, and he was giving his pitch, he was giving a demonstration of what he created and the thing, the product that he made or that he invented actually failed. Um, and so while he was giving the pitch, there was kind of like a sense of panic. He's like, oh man, I'm so sorry, I had to apologize. And there was like a really awkward, like an awkward moment. And it made the, the sharks like question the validity of the creation or the invention. And it didn't end up getting a deal in the long run. But I started thinking about that, right? I started thinking about what if you created something that in the end didn't operate in the way in which you thought it would? What if, you, what if you created it and it, decide, it decided that it didn't want to function in the same way in which you created it as its creator or its inventor? What would you think as its inventor? Would you be disappointed? Would you be upset? How would you feel about that? And I started thinking, like, what if you were the inventor of a spoon, right? Say you invented the spoon and the spoon came to life and turned around and it started talking to hammers and the hammers convinced the spoon that the, there was a better life as a hammer. And so the spoon approached you as its creator and said, hey, listen, um, I don't want to function as a spoon anymore. I want to be a hammer. What would you think? You would think, well, that's not what I created you for, right? You would think to yourself, hey, spoon, I created you. Um, you're not going to have a good and prosperous life if you func try to function as a hammer. You're never going to be able to fulfill that, the hammer's life that it was created for, right? You're not going to be able to drive a nail. In fact, you'll probably get your spoon face all dented up and you won't be able to, to drive the nail, right? In fact, you'd probably try to convince the spoon, hey, listen, I, I, I invented you, I created you, and, and here's a manual on how you're supposed to function, right? 
This is your manual. If you would just read it and understand how you were created to function and not listen to the hammers, you would understand that your life will be much better off as a spoon and not as a hammer. That would make so much sense, wouldn't it? Now, I know that you guys are intelligent. You, don't see, you can see the connection that I'm trying to make here, right? God created us as created beings for a specific purpose. And he actually gave us a manual, his word, that reveals to us as created beings what the best life for us, a blessed and a happy life, would be like and how we would function best through his word. But yet, in turn, what we do as created beings, we get around other created beings who aren't um, subject to the creator, and we start to listen to them and say, I think I want to be more like them than I do as my creator has designed. That's the creation story. That's our story as human beings. We were created with a specific purpose, with the divine word that God has given us to be able to function in our life, to have the most blessed life that we can. And yet we in turn say, no, thank you. I'd rather live contrary to how I was created. This kind of indicates what we just read in this psalm, right? In fact, in this psalm, the main point that we can see is that the word of God is sufficient for us for righteous living. The word of God is sufficient for you and I as created beings subject to our creator to live righteous lives. What I mean by righteous is to live rightly, to live in a right way, to live in accordance to how God has designed us. God has given us his word in order to be that. It seems that this psalm was created to be kind of the, the beginning or the jumping point off for the, all of the psalms. And it hinges on this one point that God has given us his word to be sufficient for us as believers to live out the design that he has created us for. The word of God is sufficient for righteous living for you and I as created beings. The first thing I want you to see in this text that we just read, Psalm chapter 1, is that God's word, it blesses man. Now, the text says that blessed is the man. It says blessed is the man, right? Now, we know that that isn't just gender-specific towards men, right? It's men and women. So each point, I'm going to say God's word blesses man or it makes a man healthy. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to women as well. But just to stay consistent with the text, the first point is that God's word blesses man and woman. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist here tells us what to avoid first and foremost in order for us to be blessed. Now, blessed here, the word actually means happy, right? If you want to live a blessed or a happy life, this psalm tells us that there is something that we should avoid, right? The psalmist kind of shows us that we should avoid choosing the wrong friends or that we should choose right friends and avoid having wicked or sinful friends. 
The psalmist shows us a progression of relationship with people that are not good and or are not healthy to bring us into to bring into our inner circle of life, right? He goes from walking to standing to sitting. Right? You can see the, um, the progression here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You see the, you see the progression, right? Don't, don't walk, then don't stand, and then don't sit. With company, that is contrary to how you know you, are, you were designed. There's a slide um, that I have on the screen for you that kind of shows, or that should kind of illustrate for us what the psalmist is talking about. So first it goes from association, right? So first you can kind of see just a, a, an association. You're walking along with a certain type of person, right? And then you stand with them, which is kind of like you're beginning to identify with them. And then you sit with them, which means that there's kind of a fixation, right? There's a fixation. You go from an association, hey, you know, we're just friends, we're just buddies, to identifying with them, hey, yeah, we're, we're the same, to a fixation where it's like, this is me, this is who I am, this is my identity, this is who I am. And you can also see the progression between walk, stand, and sit, which shows kind of your habits of life. And then it goes from advice to a pathway and then to company, which shows the people that you listen to. It goes from wicked to sinners to mockers to company that you keep. The three complete phrases show three aspects, indeed three degrees of departure from God by portraying conformity to this world at three different levels. Accept its advice, be party to its ways, and then adopting the most fatal of all, all of its attitudes for the scoffers. You can see the progression here where we identify, where we begin to identify. And I, I think each and every one of us can kind of identify in a way with this, right? If we, can, if we can point to a progression of sin in our lives or even a, a pathway away from our walk with Jesus, oftentimes it, it, it hinges on people that we allowed into our lives to influence us away from our walk with Jesus. It might not necessarily be one specific person. It might have been a group of people that you allowed to influence you or communicate to you that began to draw you away from your walk with Jesus. Maybe at one point in your life it was kind of like, hey, you know, we're just, you know, we're just hanging out as friends, and then you got a little bit closer and then closer and closer to the point where you, you found yourself to not even be the person that you knew who you were at one point when you were walking closely with Jesus. But a lot of times we can see that. A progression of our life away from Christ oftentimes is hinged upon the people that we allow into our inner circle to influence us away from our walk with Jesus. The psalmist here says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, right? He says, if you want to live a blessed life, you need to be careful you need to be careful with who you surround yourself with to give a voice into your life to draw you away from your walk with Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived that bad company ruins good morals. 
Proverbs 12, 26 says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. This proverb is, proverb is telling us that, that we can be a guide, a righteous guide to our neighbor, but wickedness, wicked people can lead us astray or lead others astray from our walk in righteousness. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another, which means if you get people who are there in your life to sharpen you, to make you more and more into the image of Jesus, surround yourself with those people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What the psalmist is telling us here is that someone who is righteous and who desires to live a life that is blessed by the Lord will guard who he surrounds himself with because the people you surround yourself with can make an impact on the decisions that you make and how you live your life and even how you identify. If you want to live a righteous life, put people who are living righteously around you. Surround yourself with people who will influence you in a righteous way who will influence you in a way that, that, that makes you more like Jesus. We can see this in our culture all the time, right? Especially like when students are going through middle school, as a, as a student pastor, I, could, I mean, I could see this, right? We, I could see a drift in people, or I could see a drift in students as they began to question their relationship with Christ, when they started to question the validity of God's word, when they started to question the church and everything that the church stands for, the tradition of the church, it, it normally began with people that would influence them, right? They, they would begin to dress differently. They would begin to speak differently. And they would say, it's because I want to be individuals, right? I want to be, I want to be an individual. But then that individual you could see is looking exactly like the company that they're keeping, right? Each and every one of us is susceptible in that way. Now, I'm not saying, I don't think the psalm is saying that we should not love sinners, right? That we should not love people who are far from Jesus, right? I don't think that's what the psalmist is saying. The point is, is that we should be careful as who we allow to be within our inner circle to have a voice into how we live our life, right? Who we associate ourselves with as believers. We can actually see this in the life of Jesus, you can see in the life of Jesus how Jesus surrounded him. He had, he had the masses, right, that would surround him. And then there was like 120 at the, in the book of Acts. There was 120 leftover disciples who were closer to him. And then he had his 12. But then there were a special three that he allowed even closer into his life. I want to ask you, who do you allow closely into your life that has a voice to speak into your life that helps encourage you walk in Christ's righteousness? The psalmist says to guard who is in your inner circle. If you want to live in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord, first be careful who you let into the inner circle of your life to have a voice into your life because those people always contend to draw us away from Jesus. He says don't associate with the wicked. Right? Don't stand with them. Don't sit with them. Don't follow the progression, but be careful. So be careful who you choose. If you want to live a blessed and happy life, be careful who you choose and allow into your life. But he also says, blessed is the man who meditates, right? Who meditates, 
who delights in the law of the Lord meditates on, um, on it day and night. The psalmist says, instead of walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers, he says instead, delight in the law of the Lord. That's what God, the, the psalmist is calling you to do, is to, to delight in the law of the Lord, to meditate on it day and night. Law here just basically means um, direction or instruction, right? It can be confined to a single command or can extend as here as to the whole of Scripture. The psalmist is saying here is like, blessed is the man who delights in God's word, who meditates on it day and night. Whose counsel are you taking? That's what's at stake here. What, what the psalmist is, hey, are you listening to the people that you've allowed into your inner circle? Or are you listening to the word of God to allow it to shape and mold who you are to walk in righteousness? Psalm 119, 1 through 3 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. If you want to live a blessed and happy life, it's keeping the law of the Lord. It's meditating on the law of the Lord, right? Psalm 119, we're going to do it in our, in our psalm devotions in, in the next few days, um, but says it refers to God's word, either law or commandments or testimonies, 173 times in 176 verses it refers to God's, God's law or God's word or God's testimonies or, or God's commandments. 173 times in 176 verses. I can't wait for y'all to get to Psalm 119 so you can just see just how important it is for us as believers to write the law of the Lord on our hearts, to meditate on it, to delight in it. What shapes the way that you make decisions in your life? When you need counsel as to doing something either right or wrong, what do you allow into your life to shape the decisions that you make? Is it the influence of the culture around you, or is it God's word? Do you have a, a biblical worldview on what is right and what is wrong? Or do you allow the culture around you to persuade you to have an idea of what is right and what is wrong? I think the psalmist would include here not just people that we associate, because we live in a very different culture now than we did in, in, in that time. Now, now we're an isolated people, right? Most of the things that influence us now come through social media or our news outlets or some kind of media outlet. That, that's what we allow to influence the way that we view the world. I think the psalm would, psalmist would say, like, be careful who you get counsel from on social media. Be, counsel, be careful who you get counsel from, from what news network that you might listen to that shapes and molds your worldview. Don't put a whole lot of stake in media or in the culture around, around you, but meditate. Meditate on God's word. And you'll meditate on God's word when you delight in God's word. Do you love God's word? Or do you see spending time in God's word as an obligation or a task or a box to check to be a good Christian? The psalmist says if you want to be someone who is considered happy and blessed, it comes from delighting in God's word. 
and meditating on it day and night. I think what the heart of this psalm is, is saying that, it's asking a question, okay, so what does blessing, avoiding people who lead us astray, and the word all have in common? I think we as believers, we need to get a, an idea of who it is that we want to be as believers. We need to get in our minds as followers of Jesus a picture of what, we, of what righteousness looks like, of what right living looks like. And I think that we get that picture from God's word because he reveals to us in his word what a righteous life looks like. As we read, as we meditate on it, we know the truth of God's word. We let it saturate our hearts and our minds. And then that shapes the way that we live. We live out the way that God has designed us in his word. I don't think that God is trying to make you feel guilty about who you surround, your, who you surround yourself with or even not reading the Bible enough. What I, I think he wants us to do is he wants to ask, do we delight in God's word? And is God's word the truth that we stand on that helps us navigate this life, the way that we view the world around us? We have to get a picture of what righteous living looks like. Because if we're honest, our culture's definition of truth and right and wrong shifts and changes every couple of months. But God's word has stood the test of time. But how do you know if you don't know God's word? How do you know God's word unless you spend time in it? How are you going to spend time in it unless you delight in it? Do you love God's word? So, God's word makes a man blessed, but it also makes a man healthy. God's word makes us healthy. Psalm 1.3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. So I want you to see the first thing in this verse. He says he's like a tree planted by streams of water. The first image that I get when I think of a tree that is planted near streams of water is something that is sturdy, right? Because as a tree is planted near a stream of water, its roots are going down deep enough and getting the, the nourishment that it needs from that source, right? The parallel that the psalmist is making is that your nourishment that you need in order to be healthy, to be sturdy, is the word of God. If you meditate on God's word, if you delight in God's word, that's the nourishment for your life that makes you healthy. And it makes you sturdy. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, uh, through 27 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been, it had been built, been founded, sorry, on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, it'll be like a man who builds his house on a firm foundation. When the storms of life come, 
when the waves come, when the rain falls, you'll be able to stand because you've built your life, you've built your house on a firm foundation. It's an idea of having a firm foundation. If your life is built on the Word of God, no matter what the, the, the changing of the seasons that come, you will still be able to stand. No matter the temptation that comes, no matter the, the storms of life that come, you'll be able to stand because you're deeply rooted in the Word of God and your foundation is strong. Sometimes I wonder if, if our lives so often are filled with ups and downs and, you know, like James says in James chapter 1, like, like the changing of the sand. You guys watched, have you ever stand on the, on, the, on the shore before and just look down and with each wave that came in, you saw the sand being pulled out and come back in and pulled out and come back in? Don't be like the shifting sands where no matter what wave comes, your life is shifted. But be like, like a house that is built on a rock where no matter what wave comes, you can still stand firmly on the word of God. So not only does it say that you will be, you'll have a sturdy foundation, but you'll be fruitful. He says that it yields its fruit in its season. The tree planted near the stream of water gets its nourishment from the word of God so that its life will produce fruit in this life. If, you're, if you've been a believer for a long time or, or if you gave your life to Jesus, but you're not seeing any change in your life, and yet you have not spent any time in the Word of God, there's probably a direct correlation because if you want to see fruit in your life, if you want to see your life change and become more like Jesus, it comes from spending time in the Word. If you want to see fruit produced through your life, it comes from the nourishment of the Word of God. If you want to be fruitful in this life as a believer, then you must abide in God's Word. If you're not seeing a change, I want to ask how much time are you spending in God's word? John 15, 1 through 6, Jesus says this also about being fruitful. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it, or that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3 says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. The word of God makes you healthy. As you abide in his word, then you begin to produce the fruit of his word. As you meditate on God's word, you'll start to see your life begin to change. We've talked about this one time before. What you put into your mind, what you put into your heart will then bear fruit. I want to ask you, what are you putting into your mind? Do you see behaviors and evidence of that same thing that you're putting into your mind and your heart? Are you allowing people that are closest to you to be able to input thoughts and ideas? And why are their thoughts and their ideas true? and not God's word true? Why are we so cynical about the word of God, but not about the culture around us? Why do we so blindly follow what the culture says is true and what is not true, but yet we question the very word of God that has stand the, stood the test of time? Why do we question his truth and just say, well, 
I wonder if the reason why is because we doubt God's word and we trust the culture blindly. If you want blind faith, look at the culture. They just say, okay, yeah, whatever. But we are called to be a different people that bear fruit. That's a testimony to the word of God. We should shape culture and not follow culture. The wicked and sinners around us should look at our lives and say, I want to walk with you. I want to sit with you. I want to stand with you because your life is different. It also says that you are prosperous, right? It says in all he does, he prospers. And I think that immediately when we say, when we hear the word prosper, we go to like the, the, the prosperity gospel where, you know, if you trust God, then you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy and you'll be rich and all this kind of stuff and you'll flourish materially. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Prospering here is prospering in right living. Listen, I would so much rather live a faithful life to the Word of God than have everything this world has to offer. Wouldn't you? The Bible says that when you meditate on the Word of God, then you'll begin to prosper in righteousness. Your life will be able to change. It will start to change. You'll see righteous living begin to come out of you because the Word of God has the power to do that. It has the power to do that. You say, maybe I doubt it, but have you tried it? How much time have you spent in God's word as opposed to in the culture and media, social media? 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see that the word of God, it's breathed out by God. It's profitable for us. It produces in us. It trains us for right living. And that's what God is calling us to do in this psalm. He wants us to live rightly in a world full of wickedness and evil so that we can be a light that shines in the dark place. But we have to know what right living looks like in accordance to God's word. What kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to have a healthy life? Do you want to live a blessed, spiritually life? If not, how is the alternative working out for you? How's it going for you? Sometimes we have to be honest about the state of our life and the fruit that isn't being produced and saying, okay, maybe there's something to what God says in his word, that the more I spend in his word, the more the word will get into me and the more the, the, the healthy Christian life I'll be able to live and produce that in me. That doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. Please don't hear me say that you're going to be perfect the more time, but what you'll do is you'll begin to notice that God is shaping you. He begins to mold you. And sometimes your sin starts to change differently, right? We were talking in our Bible group this Wednesday about it a little bit, about how as Paul progressively got closer and closer to God, the, the longer he lived in Christ, it's almost the more that he saw the sinfulness in his life and just wanted to live a life of repentance and confession. Because the closer we get to holiness, the more that we see our need for a Savior. The more that we get to God's word and see God's word, the more we'll recognize our need for confession and the more that we'll recognize our need for a savior. We don't become self-righteous. We become more humbled and more repentant and confess more because we want to be more like Christ. That's what God's word does. It shapes us, it molds us, but it also equips us to live out this life the way that God has called us to in faithful obedience to the word. So not only does it make a man healthy, but it also divides man. It divides man. You can see 
basically in this text how, how the psalmist makes a division between righteous and wicked, right? He makes a very clear separation between righteous and wicked, or righteous and sinners. Psalm 1, 4 through 6, he says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, this imagery that the psalmist is talking about when he says that the wicked are like chaff that are driven away by the wind. Um, in, in this culture's agriculture, whenever they would collect wheat, what they would do is that they would, um, they would, they would, they would beat the wheat, they would hit it, and the chaff would separate and the wind would come by and it would help to separate the, the seed from the, the ceiling of the seed, right? Or oftentimes they would throw it in the air and the wind would catch it and it would drive the, the, the casing of the seed away, right? And so saying that the wicked are like that. It's like they'll just be driven away because they don't basically have staying power, right? But he's saying that the, those who are, are believers... Those who are followers of Jesus, they'll stand in the day of judgment because their righteousness is based on Christ and not on themselves. The wicked, they're going to perish, the Bible says. They won't stand in the day of judgment. They won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Why does he know the way of the righteous? Because he created it, right? The Lord knows the way of the righteous because he made the right path for us to walk on. He doesn't know the way of the wicked because that's our choice. He gave the command. He gave the law for us to live in obedience to, and we said, no, thank you. He gave us the manual to say, hey, if you want to live a righteous and blessed life, live this way as our creator, like I said. But we said, no, thank you. I want to go live like the rest of the world. And he said, don't let's live like the rest of the world because there will be a day of judgment where we're going to stand before a holy and righteous God. The word of God, it separates between what is right and what is wrong. What is righteous, what is wicked, what is, what is holy and what is not. Sometimes we often say, okay, that's, that's a good Old Testament thing, right? But God's, you know, Jesus is full of grace and mercy. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about hell and money than he did about grace and salvation? Did you know that? He says in Matthew chapter 25, 31 through 46, he says, When the Son of Man comes in glory, talking about Jesus' return and the end of days, he said, All the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another. He's going to separate people. As a sheep separates the sheep, or the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Do you see it? Jesus, when he returns, he's going to make a separation of those who are sheep and goats, meaning the righteous, those are his, and then those who are wicked. It says, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these my brothers, you did, you did to me. We're going to do a series one, one time where we talk about being um, a servant to the least of these. But the point that we're making from this text is that Jesus will come and he will separate those who are with him and those who are not. Jesus said, you are either for me or you're against me. Verse 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You realize that hell wasn't prepared for us. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And as a, as a result of our rebellion against a holy and righteous God, that's where we will spend an eternity if we rebel against God and not trust in Jesus as our Savior. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, strain, um, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and, and did not minister to you? Verse 45 says, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, Jesus makes a separation. The fruit of which in this text is that they live out their faith and they see, have compassion on the unjust, right? There's evidence, there's fruit to their faith of being a follower of Jesus. It should produce in us a certain kind of righteous living that tells the lost and dying world that we minister to those who are, who, who, who are oppressed, those who are, who are um, needy. But the most important thing in this text is that there will be a day of separation, there will be a day of judgment. He says again in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 36, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. But Jesus said that? I thought he said, peace I bring to you. Yes, he brings us peace through salvation, peace between us and God. But when we trust Jesus that's gonna, and other people don't, what that does is that's going to break a relationship because people aren't going to understand, right? People in this culture, especially in the Greek culture, would have abandoned their children, would have abandoned their family because they chose Christ and not their idols. We can see it today. We can see a separation of light and darkness happening. The divide is growing further and further, I think, in our culture every day. I believe that there is a separation for those who are going to stand on truth in God's word, who are going to live out faithful and obedience to the word of God. There's going to be a separation one day. The author of Hebrews says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierced to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word, it divides your heart between, um, between bone and marrow. It means that it, it, it shows you, it reveals to you what is flesh and what is spirit. It tells you what is true and what is wicked or what is false. Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. The way is easy that leads to destruction for those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. You know what Jesus just said? He said the, the road is wide that leads to destruction. But it's narrow that leads to eternal life and righteousness. The fact that Jesus came in truth, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. 
He made a stance and said, I am truth. Which one are you going to choose? And listen, the argument is, is that that's the problem with Christianity, that we're not inclusive, right? Christianity is not inclusive. It excludes. Well, truth by its nature excludes. Truth by its nature claims to be absolutely true. If you want to get rid of truth, you have to get rid of anything true. Every religion claims to be true. Even when you say all paths lead to, to God, you're excluding every religion that says not all path leads, leads to God. You're claiming a truth claim by saying that. And why is your truth greater than God's truth? Who told you that that's true? that all paths lead to God. Who told you that? Why are you going to put faith in that? As opposed to God's word, why do you blindly trust that that statement? Truth by its nature is true, and truth divides. And that's what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now that that he has made that claim, what are you going to do with it? The grace of God gives you that option. You can either reject him or you can trust him as Lord and Savior. Listen, God's word is the revelation of truth and it naturally divides man. Which path are you going to choose? God's word helps us stay on that path. Do you delight in it? Do you meditate on this word? Do you test the things of this world with the truth of God's word? How do you know if you're living in accordance that that honors God? Again, I'm not saying that God doesn't love you. I'm not saying that God's grace isn't there for you, that he's not merciful to us when we fall because we will. But that doesn't mean we just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, I'm just going to sin anyway, so I'll just go ahead and live however I want and just just bank on God's grace every moment of the day. No, we, we, if the truth of God is in you, if Christ is in you, then you'll desire to live in a righteous way. That's evidence. That's fruit. You'll want to be more like Christ. If you don't, I question if you start a relationship with Jesus, the invitation is there for you. And you may respond, what makes you righteous then, Right? That's that's the problem with Christians. They seem so righteous. That's not the gospel. None of us in this room, if you're not a believer, none of us, even if you are a believer, we should never say that it's our goodness or our righteousness that saves us. That's, That's no better than any other world religion that says I can work my way to God. I can climb this ladder. I can work hard, do good, and be good. I said this last week. What makes us right is the righteousness of Christ that covers us. That's the gospel. I'm sorry that someone told you to be good and try harder. That's not the gospel. Trust the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and his righteousness is then imputed upon you. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see your good or your bad works. What he sees is Christ in you sees Christ on you, and therefore you don't have to live under the slavery of a law. You get to live in the freedom of the love of Jesus Christ poured out on you. Isn't that freedom? 
Doesn't that free you, believer? I get to freely live. I don't have to, it's not an obligation. I don't have to check a box. I get to learn about my God who loves me and proved it to me through sending his son Jesus. And that's the first, the fourth point is that God's word became man. God's word became man. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. This is a lot of verses, so hang on tight. It says, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made that was made. Excuse me. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the, son, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him, and he cried out, This was He um, of whom I said, He who comes after me, He ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This text is telling us that, that in the beginning was the Word, and that Word then became flesh, and that, that, that man who became flesh dwelt among us to show us who God is, to show us what our Creator is like, who is full of grace and truth. That is Jesus Christ. He poured out His blood for us on the cross. The Word became flesh, and people rejected Him, crucified Him. He's the light of the world. He is the word. We meditate on this word because this word testifies to the living word. 1 John 1, 1 through 1-4 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, talking about Jesus, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is telling us that the word of life became flesh. God's word was a testimony to the living word. This book is about Jesus from beginning to end. From Genesis 3.15, after man fell and rebelled against God, God said to the serpent, you may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And from the seed of the woman, he will crush your head, talking about the seed of Eve. And then you follow the trajectory of God's redeeming plan all throughout Scripture. It comes to a culmination in Jesus. 
All the Old Testament is just history coming to this one perfect moment where Jesus steps onto the scene. The Word of God, the promises of God, the commands of God all come into being in Jesus Christ. Then the Gospels testify to who he is, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Then from Acts on, we see the church going out and proclaiming this new life that is found in the Word of God. And then the revelation is that Jesus, the Word, is going to come again all throughout Scripture. In fact, Tim Keller has this... um, Tim Keller was a pastor, a theologian that recently passed, but he has this essay, it's called, It's All About Him, and it says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who is not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love me, um, who you love from me. Now we can look at God taking up his son at the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who meditates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice. Now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job who truly innocent suffered who then intercedes for us and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple. He's the true prophet. He's the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true, the true bread. This word is not just, a, it's not about us. It's for us, but it's about Jesus. Every story, every story in here, the word of God testifies to Jesus. How can we not delight in this word? This, in this word is how we find salvation from sin. How we can be forgiven, not on our own merit, but because of what Christ has done. How can we not delight in that? How can we just let it sit and collect dust on our, on our bedsides? How can we do this? How can we not desire and delight in God who created us and wants to save us? How can we not do that? If you want to live a blessed life believer, a healthy life believer, I invite you to fall in love with the Word of God because the written Word of God testifies to the living Word of God. Don't let another day go by where we don't delight.
in this word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a, plea, a tree that is planted near streams of water, does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that are driven away by the wind. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the, the Lord knows the way of the wicked, the way of the righteous will perish. Or the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Meditate on this word. Delight in this word. Live this word. Can we pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for your love that is poured out on us every single day. God, I pray that we wouldn't take a day for granted and not delight in your word. God, we thank you so much for your grace. I pray, Lord Jesus, that, there, that you would just put in our heart a desire and a delight for your word. God, wake us up in the morning with an excitement to be with you in your word. Only you can do that, Holy Spirit. I pray that we would see the pages all throughout that testify to the goodness of a God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. I pray, Father, that each and every person in this room would hesitate when the culture tells us that there's something true and run to your word to test it first. That we wouldn't blindly follow everything that this world tries to shove down our throats, but we would stand on the truth of your word and that we would shape culture. That we would be the example that the lost and dying world around us would want to walk with us, would want to stand with us, would want to sit with us because we are confident in your word and in your truth. I pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of invitation, three invitations every week. If you want to join Arlington Baptist Church, we invite you to do that. I'll be up here. Um, we're going to have a new members class starting the same Sunday um, that we're starting our time change, um, September 10th. Um, so that's going to be our first new members class. It'll be four weeks. Um, so if you want to join um, Arlington, come come down. Um, love to have you. We've had, I think, I think six, six or seven people um, in the past four or five weeks have, have joined, said that they want to join Arlington, are going to go through the new members class. Um, so we're really excited about that. Also, if you have not given your life to Jesus, um, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life is to trust in the way, the truth, and the life, to give your life to him. If you don't know what that means or what that looks like, um, I'd love to share a little more about that with you. I'll be down here. Just come. We'll talk. Um, don't be afraid. The devil wants you to be afraid. Um, don't be afraid. Um, and the last, uh, if you just want to come and you just want to pray, just come and kneel down here and, and uh, spend some time with the Lord. If you want to make an, a, com a commitment to the Lord, let this be a time, an altar where you say, that God, I'm, I want to spend time with you every day. If you just want to create this space as an altar um, between you and God, you can do that. The, the altar is open for you. We just say, come just as you are. Um, you don't have to be perfect to be in this place. Um, we believe that Jesus changes us. And so um, don't be ashamed. Come, come just as you are.